Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Anybody from novice to understanding scripture well only has to read about a book, the first book of the Bible, early in scripture. Genesis, you get into Exodus, and regardless of how familiar you are or whether you've grown up in church or not, or maybe church is new to you, you read just those pages, those, those, those chapters, and you immediately, it's, it's, it's hard to walk away from the early text of Scripture and not see that God's driving passion, the overwhelming concern of God is closeness with humans. He wants to be close to us. It's his purpose for creation. We see this so clearly. We see it at the very beginning in Eden. Not only do we interact with God face to face, humans were designed to do that. You know, when earth was Eden, not only did we interact so closely with God, God wanted to share the creative process with us. He made us co-creators. We were to manage his creation. We were to replicate his life as our purpose, as imagers of God. This was God's deepest desire, and it still is to this day. And then tragically, three pages into the story of God in Scripture, we severed that closeness when humans decided to take control. We tried to take control from God. And it wreaked unanswerable and indescribable havoc on the human condition. And in the pages that follow, the first 11, 10, 11 chapters of Scripture, we see humankind spiraling into a dysfunctional version of what we were intended to be. And so you would think at chapter 11, chapter 12, when God re-engages, God re-emerges onto the human scene, you'd think maybe he's going to just rain wrath down on planet Earth, or maybe he's going to announce in the sky, I'm going somewhere else. You guys had your chance. I'm going to go start another universe and try again. Instead, he announces that he is beginning his rescue plan to rescue humanity so he can once again be close to us. And we see this in the call of Abraham. We see it in a remarkable exchange with Moses, just consistently through the narrative of the Old Testament. We see that God's burning desire, his ultimate passion, is to once again be close to us. We see it when God intervenes in the slavery, the, the, the horrible oppression of, of slavery in Egypt. And he says, his words were, I've seen the oppression of my people, and I'm coming down. His words are, I'm coming down to rescue my people. Then he creates the tabernacle temple system, these temporary locations where his presence will reside again so that he and humans can interact again. And then you get to the New Testament, and this theme just expedites. I mean, it goes to the next level. When John begins the New Testament telling us, God became flesh and came to dwell among us. That, that, that wording means to reside in closeness. We're going to, it's hard to believe, in five weeks, five or six weeks, we're going to start our Advent season, and we're going to focus on the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. It's undeniable that God's passion is closeness to you and me, not just humanity in general. He wants to be close to you. And so he's given us this tool, God has given us this ability 
It's shocking when you look at the state of humankind and what we can do to one another and how anti-God we can appear in our behavior and our decisions and our selfishness in our attempt to take control, our desire to hold on to control, it's shocking that God not only wants to continue in closeness with us, he's given us a gift, an ability. He's given you a tool, and you can employ this tool right now. You can right now. You can tonight. You can on Tuesday morning going into work meetings when parenting stress hits an all-time high, when there's relational crisis. You don't understand what the financial future is going to be. You can employ this gift at any moment and it's the gift of worship and worship is an ability that God has given you and me to access his reality his reality right now in any given moment his unmatched strength his creative good when we want to see God I just wish I could see God just unfold something real in front of me. I wish God would finally show up. Why can't God just answer the prayer of my late night call to him in all the stress? Worship is our ability to access God's power, God's reality, God's activity. It's our saying to God, I want closeness with you too. You desire closeness with me You've given me the ability to choose. We've had this ability since Eden. We can choose our own control to feed our own desires, or we can choose the source of life itself. And in this choosing, we find, we discover this gift of worship. You have the ability, whatever's going on, regardless of how difficult it is, even in the good, to say, I'm going to stay connected, or I'm going to invite the connection of life itself, the source of life. We can impede closeness with God. We can create distance by choosing to prioritize any number of things. Or we can choose, we have the ability to choose access to who God is, his reality. When you choose to worship God, you're inviting his proximity that he already wants. He's already made it possible for his presence to be close to you. Worship is you choosing that proximity. So I thought of a number of examples. I've listed some here of what worship is, what, what it actually looks like. I think if I said, what is worship? Probably a lot of us would first think of singing. Well, that's what you do to start your church gathering. We've done this for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. And singing is part of the answer. We see David elevate, you know, singing's part of the story of God. And then we get to David, King David. And David makes it really clear that singing and music are obvious expressions of worship to God. But it's just a part. It's just a part of our heart choosing access to who God actually is. So one example I listed, and this is probably the hardest for me personally, <laughs> of any of the examples maybe we'll talk about today. Fasting is an example. Fasting is a form of worship. And some of you, quite a few of you actually, joined me in September and we fasted something. Some told me they fasted social media. Some fasted news in the evening or, or going to bed having watched or read news. And instead of feeding that craving, I fasted a meal every day for the month of September. Instead of feeding that craving, we're feeding the craving for God to be at work in our lives. Um, 
it's hard for me. I don't enjoy fat. It's on my calendar. I lead us twice a year in a fast, and I see it coming in the calendar, and I'm like, oh, man. I'm not looking forward to this month of fasting. I think you would say it. Many people say, oh, okay, well, what is it? What? I want to counter this resistance that we have to something like fasting with the idea of so many diets. It's, it's now in the last 18 months what's really kind of become ubiquitous everywhere is intermittent fasting. It's a, it's, that's being practiced in my house. I hear a lot of you talk about intermittent fasting. We actually give the body more rest. during inter- And so when it's for our health and when a doctor convinces us or we see it in a in social media, or our neighbors are doing it, we jump on board. And yet, when it comes to God, we're so reticent to give up something of pleasure or something that feeds what we want or our own agenda to be closer to God. Financial giving is a form of worship. Jesus, Paul teaches this, this the early church, Jesus himself, to, to, to the widow who, who brings her, her gift of worship to the temple. And if you say, man, b- budgets are tight, it's hard to give to God's work in his church, his movement of the church, I get it, budgets are tight. I know what that's like. And yet, we could, we could spend 30 minutes talking about the, the stuff we spend money on. We spend money on things that are just experiments, new toys we want to try. I read an article, this is scary, We've got lots of reasons to talk ourselves into fearing the future. And boy, our kids and our grandkids' generation, geopolitical things. Well, how about this? I read an article that one-third of Americans spend more money on coffee than on their investment, investing for their future. One-third. That scares me more than maybe anything happening in the world today. We spend money on so many things... Lots of good things. There's nothing wrong in and of... But we're so hesitant. There's something in us that makes us want to control our money when it comes to investing in God and what God wants to be doing, particularly through his church. Reading content about God. I understand we wake up in the morning, there is a lot waiting for us. We've got to go. Mornings are stressful, just getting ready. I understand that. I know what that's like. And yet, we have studies. We don't need studies. We can just acknowledge it. We can just admit it this morning ourselves. We wake up now and consume so much information about our world, not just the news early in the morning, but on social media, what other people think. We are consuming in the morning, and now studies tell us we're doing this before we get out of bed. We're consuming what strangers think about what's happening in our world, or about their dogs or cats, or... We have an appetite for content, but when it comes to God's content, his story, what he wants to be revealing in us about the state of humanity and his movement of love into the world, it's like, God, when things calm down, I'll get back to you. Focused prayer, we spent the summer talking about practicing the heart and mind of Jesus. We centered so much of that around prayer. I understand praying to an invisible God, it's challenging. It's a reordering of our habits, and it's, I understand it could be intimidating. And yet, here's a counter to it. Never before have doctors been prescribing yoga companies. I just went into a, a PR company 
for a film festival meeting just about a month ago. It's amazing the, the meditation studios that exist in, in corporate offices where we're told as part of our work, you need to quiet yourself down. You need to quiet your mind. And when it comes to quieting ourselves before God and spending time with him, there's this resistance in us. And I believe it's the choice that we've been facing ever since the two trees. We have a choice. This is what makes us unique. As humans, unlike anything else in the universe, we have the ability to choose our own power, feeding our own agenda, our own appetites, or we can choose the source of life itself. Another form of worship that uh, I struggle with personally is singing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot I could say about this. It's, it's in, singing in a group of people is intimidating to me. It's safer for me this morning. I was sitting here, standing here, sort of alone, nobody really close to me. Chris is maybe the closest who could be damaged by my singing. When I have people, when I have people really close to me, I tend to sing quieter because I know my voice is just terrible. And I, you know, it, 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 this is an intimidating thing. Singing to an invisible God, closing your eyes. Our arms. In the Old Testament, we see this certainly in the New Testament. Paul talks about raising hands before a powerful creative God. Raising arms as if they're tree branches, honoring God, the creator. Opening hands to say, God, I'm empty. You can fill me. Or God, I'm letting go of control. God's given us the symbol. We, <clears throat> we have this in our, our ability to express through posture. God, I'm releasing control to you. We're called in scripture to worship. In these ways, and yet we're, we're hesitant. I have a tension of raising hands in church because of friends. I, I invite friends to church regularly, people who come in and they're just kind of wigged out by the things that maybe we do. Or I had people one time tell me that uh, they just couldn't understand. It's like you're singing, your, your, your eyes are closed when you're singing. It's so weird. Like, why, why are you closing your eyes? It's. And there's a res I have a respect for those who join us in this room. And so I have a constant tension. God, I want to open my hands and worship to you to say I'm surrendered. I'm not holding on to control. And yet I'm also mindful of the people around me. I, that's a tension that I think God respects and honors. So I want to talk about this, this reticence or this hesitation. And I'm going to show a, a, a three videos this morning. And I could use... Any number. I thought about a Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's movie. You know, she just had the she just had the biggest world tour in history, um, and we all know about it. And then the movie came out. The movie of her concert tour came out, and it released during our film festival weekend. And so we did our film festival this week with hundreds and maybe out and by the end thousands of Swifties just all around us. Just everywhere, we, when we came out of a theater, there's just Swifties everywhere. And, and so I finally, on Saturday, decided to go into, like, the, you know, there's like seven. We have one screening in this theater, and then the next seven are Taylor Swift in all seven movie theaters. I went into one of them, and it's packed, you know, 200 people. And up near the front, near the screen, there's probably seven or eight or, I don't know, 10-year-olds maybe dancing. And then there's dancing over here and dancing back here. And I think some moms were dancing. And I, maybe some grandmothers were dancing. Um, and now the Hollywood Reporter this week 
did an article about Taylor Swift's movie has now created attention in movie theaters of movie theater engagement etiquette. Should you interact with what's happening on the screen or should you sit, you know, which is fascinating. I had some YouTube clips from their Boston, that, that music video they did, Where the Streets Have No Name, With or Without You. They just played at the Sphere. That's all over YouTube. There's, there's so many examples. Presidential inaugurations I could have used. I'm going to use three from the sports world. <laughs> so just, uh, uh, yeah, allow me. Um, the astronauts coming back and the ticker tape parades. There's so many examples we could use of, 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 of this point. When we come into church, we're somber. We call it sacred. Our private expression, my, my relationship with God is between God and me. I don't even need to sing because he knows what's in my heart. We say all of these things. We rationalize these things. Through church history, we've said church is a place that's to be sacred and reverent and quiet. And we've missed that the sacred of God so often is a celebrating and using our voices and calling out in worship the greatness of God. It's in us. It's hardwired in us. And so the first clip I'm going to show of our hardwiring comes from 1981. I remember where I was sitting when the Dallas Cowboy dynasty, I was just so sick of the Cowboys. They beat the Redskins constantly all the time. It made me sick. I hated the Cowboys. I, wasn't, I grew up in church. I wasn't supposed to say hate. So I wouldn't say I hate it, but I hated them. And then Joe Montana, the 49ers had never, they've always just been awful. And with one minute to go in the NFC championship game, this decides who goes to the Super Bowl. This, this the, the catch, as it's called, is why this moment is when I decided I am with the rest of my life, with every bone and every fiber, all of my DNA, I'm going to play football the rest of my life. It's because of this play. All right, let's, let's watch this first clip. Okay, so these are the people on a Saturday night who were losing their minds like I was on my couch as a 10-year-old, who the next morning on Sunday morning will stand with their arms and hands guarded and their voices timid. I don't think it's because we're actually afraid of somebody hearing our voice. I think it's because we're trying to hold on to control in front of the source that wants all control. That's... That's my theory. I've said, oh, I've got a bad voice. I need... We make these excuses. I think at the core, we're afraid of letting go of control because what's wired in us is to lose our minds over what makes us passionate about life. Okay, the next clip is Tiger. I remember where I was <laughs> during the Masters when he's just off the 16th green and a lot of sports Commentators and journalists will cite this moment as why crowd noises in golf tournaments are louder now. And when Tiger's passion as an athlete is talked about, it's often this moment that really defines Tiger's passion. Here again, we see our, our, in our DNA our desire to worship. I was in a, I was a young pastor in a tiny little office in Sterling watching this and uh, man I just it's these sports moments are so vivid do we have we can do the next clip two weeks ago oh we can't was that a no yes I heard I saw a no and then I saw a yes two weeks ago the Phillies in the playoffs nationally wild wild card um, 
series. They're playing the, the Marlins. Bryson Stott comes to the plate with bases loaded. The Phillies have only ever had one Grand Slam ever in playoff history. And, you know, if you've paid attention to baseball in the last 10 years, every player comes to the plate with their, their walk-up song, you know? Uh, the Phillies fans know A-OK, -okay, Bryson Stott's walk-up song. Listen, if we get the audio here, we really need the audio for this one. If you listen to the voices and watch the, the arms in this video, this is just like 14, 15 days ago. Okay, what, what is going on here? What is going on? In society, we see emotional reaction to what we value, what we're passionate about. And when I say emotional, I don't mean just yelling and screaming. I mean, sometimes our emotional reaction is we're so overwhelmed with joy, we go and sit by a pond and just tears stream down our face out of gratitude. What is it about walking into modern churches today where we've been taught that we must be so sacred and so quiet? We are holding on to control in front of the one who's asking for all control. And worship is our surrender of control to the one who is great. The one who is reality for our world. Who wants to unleash activity in front of, in front of us and around us. And he's waiting. He's moved close to us. He's waiting for our permission. He's waiting for us to say, I want close proximity to you as well. And worship is the ability he's given us. I, there's someone in my life I'm very close to who called me on the night that Obama won the election. And this person, I just happen to know, didn't vote for Obama. And they called and said, I am wiping tears away watching this celebration in Chicago. We are celebrating a black man has become our president. And I just needed to call somebody. They called me and just said, I'm just, this is such an amazing Night and the tears and the phone call is it's the stuff of stepping into acting on our emotional connectedness to what we value the most. And if we're not worshiping God, if we're not choosing to worship Him as our focal point, as our greatest value, we will worship. It's in stadiums and at concerts and at presidential inaugurations. And it is why we have, I believe as a society, more faith, actual faith in who gets elected next and what Congress is deciding or unable to decide right now. We have more faith in po political leaders than we actually do God. We come here and we worship and we say we, we worship in, 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 in song because we have a couple of songs. And we say that God's our priority, but actually during the week our real passion comes out of us when our faces turn red and we want to speak up on issues and we want to push back because we have learned to control our lives when it comes to God. And we let go in safe environments where I can express, I can employ expressions of worship because I'm not actually losing control of my life. So I want you to know today, when I thought about this Sunday, and what is it that I really want to convey? I want you to know that you can and you do choose what you worship. You don't just naturally 
wake up one morning and just obsess about the stock market or bank accounts, and you just incessantly watch. It's, it's one thing to check bank accounts once or twice a week. But when it occupies your mind, when, when financial, when a person, when a human being and what they think of you becomes your obsession, because you think about it every day and throughout your day, and when you have time to daydream, you're daydreaming about what this, this person thinks of you, you have become a worshiper of that stock account or of that person. Do you know that you can worship by worrying? Worry, obsessively thinking on and allowing it to become anxiety, that's a form of worship. Technically, by definition, if worship is our response to what we value the most, when you worry and worry and it becomes a pattern and habit of your life, you have made that, you've, you've, you've essentially expressed to yourself that the greatest value of my life right now is protecting myself from this harm or being consumed about what this impending decision could mean for me. And we think that when life is hard and when we're struggling, when the relationship has become stressed, when parenting seems to have no answers, when we are facing financial uncertainty, we think, and we can actually defend that, that why that's the moment not to worship, to pause worship, because we have to figure this out first and we have to resolve this issue first. And then I can get back to God. And then I can give him my focus and my worship. And man, that is so backwards, that is so counter to how breakthroughs and resolution and God's activity unfolding in our lives actually work. I could use any number of examples. Scripture from beginning to end tells the story of whether we choose worship of the source of life or we choose worship in something that seems to empower us. I've chosen Acts chapter 16. A woman has been trafficked. Paul and Silas, with God's power and God's voice, have freed her. And this upsets, essentially, her slave owners. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Isn't it amazing how ethnic stuff gets thrown in and because they've lost their income source from domineering and owning this woman. These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar and advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten, beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. My gosh, it's going from bad to worse. You think you have a bad day and you do. And I do. We do have bad days. And we do have challenging seasons. I'm not sure if I've ever had a bad day or a bad season like this. Not only they've been beaten, now they're being thrown into the inner cell, the most protective cell for the worst hardened criminals, and then they fasten their feet to the stocks. About midnight, talk about dark of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I love that Luke includes that. He could have just said they were praying and say, but the other prisoners are listening. Worship of God, whether it's in your car or in the quiet of your bedroom, or by a pond, or here, 
your worship of God inevitably affects other people. Because you're opening access to proximity with God. The closeness that God wants to have with you, you're saying, yes, I want it too. And the natural result, the supernatural result of that closeness is always affecting others. With the good and the reality and the overwhelming power, the creative good of God. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He knew he was in big trouble because the jail cells were all open on his watch. He thought the prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be rescued? This word saved means to be made whole, to be, to be remade human is actually what this word means, salvation. How can I be introduced to the real life, the powerful life, the whole life that you have, obviously have? What's the answer? Then they spoke the word of the Lord. In the context here, Luke, Luke's telling us they told him about Jesus, the power of the one who conquered death. If you have power over death, you have power over everything. He is Lord and God. He deserves to have full control of our lives. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in, in God, he and his whole household. I do, I want you to know that you can, you and I do, we we can and we do choose what we worship. It's not random. There aren't some people that are just more inclined spiritually. There aren't people that are just sort of randomly obsessed with the economy or their career. We choose it. You choose what you worship. And as long as we are holding on to control, we are going to worship any number of things in this life and in this planet. And we'll, we'll worship, we'll worship you know, what Scripture calls idols, just these replicas, they're supposed to be like this God-like figure in our lives. When God says, worship is designed to connect you to the power source, the life source that is God. And what unfolds around you is just freedom, the remarkable of God. Three things I, I, that God shows us through Paul and Silas here, and I'm going to do this quickly. Paul and Silas, God shows us through Paul and example, uh, Silas's example that you and I should choose to worship when it seems apparent that we should be fixating on other real concerns. When circumstances tell you, you know what, this needs to be my focus right now. Worshiping around this worry or this nightmare or this relational stress. We should actually choose to worship. Because God knows what he's doing. We're giving him Ability and access to work his plan, even in the dark of the night. No matter what kind of control you think you're losing, or you think you've lost, you can still choose to worship the source who will either get you out of the prison cell, or he will use you in the prison cell in such a remarkable way you'll be grateful that you were there.
Second thing I, I, I saw here in this story is that worship invites God's remarkable plan and unmatched strength into your weakness, into your lessness, your limitations. I mean, the reality is we don't know how to get ourselves out of certain prison cells. We don't know how to explain why we were treated. If you've been treated poorly, if you're being treated poorly right now, I would argue it's probably not as poorly as they were treated. I mean, they, the crowd joins in. And then they're flogged and beaten. And then they're thrown into the inner cell. And then their feet are fastened to the stocks. Last thing here, at least for this morning, from this, this, this story, this amazing part of God's story. When you're experiencing something good or even extraordinary... You'd be wise to continue the choice, to continue choosing to worship God because he never stops creating. He's never finished recreating good out of broken or beauty out of something ugly. I'm telling you, if you could move me right now, just time warp me into that prison cell at midnight, and I choose to worship God, and then the jail cell doors open, I'm telling you, I'm out of there. I'm getting out of there as fast as I can. I'll go somewhere else and wash my own wounds. I mean, I, the fact that Paul and Silas stayed, their worship continues. They're not singing anymore, but they're still worshiping. There was something of the inner prompting of God that made it clear in their spirit, in their minds and hearts, I'm at work right now. I'm doing something greater than just freeing you from this prison cell. The other prisoners are listening. I'm about to transform the life of this jailer. Don't run off yet. And by staying in the prison that night, even with the cell door open, they were continuing their choice of worship. And so this morning, I do not and I never will obligate you to posture in some way, whether that's kneeling or whether that's standing in honor to God or, or lifting your hands. I'm, I'm about to lift one hand because I'm holding a microphone. And I'm going to invite you to try this. And again, no judgment. But I'm going to pray our daily prayer for the month of October. We've been praying this all month. I'm going to lead us in it here. I'm going to read the words just so I, I don't miss any part of what we feel is really important as we express our heart to God. And with my eyes open and reading this prayer, I'm going to invite you to open your hands and surrender. God, this is your heart. Fill me with what we're praying, with what we're saying. God, I'm letting go of control. And so you're welcome to join me with open hands as I say, powerful God who came to restore our world. I join my church this month, setting my mind and my thoughts on you. My mind naturally wants to think about so many pressing matters. The pace of everyday life tempts me to put you aside. Jesus, help me right now to counter the thought that I'll get back to you later. Remind me today that experiencing you and cha you changing me begins with what I listen to, what I focus on, and what I think about. Reorder my mind and my habits with your words. Jesus, whatever is true... Whatever is decent, right, and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, as you taught us in Philippians 4, help us, help me to think on these things. In a broken and disappointing world, 
Use me and use our church this week to reveal your love and your power to make things new. And I challenge you, friends and church family, worship with us, yes, when we're here together. When we're here in our gathering together, worship with us. Some of you maybe are prompted to kneel at times, or maybe you are prompted to open your hands and continue to surrender. In your giving, you're letting go of financial resources to resource the movement of God's church. Worship with us, but I'm going to challenge you, may you worship even more when you're not inside the walls of this building throughout the week. May you walk and talk to God about who he is. May you sit in awe, maybe under a starry sky or in front of some type of body of water. Expressing your amazement at the one who designed water in distant galaxies. May you offer resources to God, investing yourself in the movement of his church. Investing empathy into the stories of others. May you sing, yes, may you sing along with me. And give up meals or media or social media for periods of time to feed your hunger, your growing hunger for God and his presence, his activity, his unmatched strength. The reality that you desperately want to see. The reality of God unfold in front of your life. Give up something regularly to say, God, I'm choosing you. I'm hungering more for you.